Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows that because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids, we're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snap Hook, another sports edition here as we do our WBC special. Tim Costello, Scott Barzilla, and a special guest with us today. Those of you down under my gnome, it's Dan Vaughn. How are we doing, guys? I'm doing good, mate. How are you guys doing? It, yeah, this is going to be fun. Uh, glad you could join us, Jan. So, Dan, before we kind of get into it, just to give everybody a a little bit of your background. You and I got to know each other when we both worked in the American Association and kind of a cool scenario for, for both of us here is uh, we kind of have some non-Team USA hats in the in the ring with, with the uh, World Baseball Classic. And, and one of the things I always enjoyed talking to you about was the, the off-season in American baseball when you would go down to uh, Australia and, and work down in the Australian Baseball League. Absolutely. I've been going, I went, uh, I've been going out the last 10, 10 years now. I went in 2012, I wrote all the, wrote all the Australian baseball league teams and said, Hey, I want to come over and work. And uh, a couple of them got back to me and uh, thought I was going to go to Melbourne and work and turned out, I uh, got a call from Perth that was saying, Hey, uh, once you come be our PA guy, and I went sight unseen, never, I'd been to Australia before, but I never thought about going West. If you, you know anything about Australia, uh, most of the country is on the eastern side of the, of the continent, and Perth is way, way, way out west, And but I'm glad I did, and been going back ever since, and just spent uh, a little part of the tail end of the season doing the Australian Baseball League postseason, uh, did the uh, radio call for, uh, for Australia, for Perth, and for uh, South Australia, in the match of the Claxton Shield, then I also do a, a little project called Talking Baseball Australia, where uh, my broadcast partner Paul Morgan and I uh, do a little thing we've been doing now since 2012, and talking the great game, and and we call ourselves Baseball's Best Mate. So with that, there's there's the background. So I, I feel like I know a little bit about Team Australia. Absolutely, just, just a tad bit. 
Yeah. And I guess for, for those of us, those who are listening in, you know, maybe you could fill us in on, uh, you know, when the typical Australian season starts, you know, and, and kind of where would they would be at this point in the calendar. You know, Australia is a Southern hemisphere. So the, the, we call winter ball in the Northern hemisphere, you know, uh, you know, the Caribbean series and all that, that's winter ball. That's the same thing. Uh, it's the Australian summer, which runs basically, uh, October into, well, we just kind of, we're going to start wrapping up into, into fall here in about a couple of days in Australia and the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, but it's it's a winter ball schedule. Uh, there are eight teams in the Australian Baseball League. One is based in Auckland, New Zealand, and you've got a team of Koreans, uh, Korean prospects who play in Geelong, which is a, a town in Victoria, kind of the Green Bay, a bit, a bit of, if you will, of of. Australian sport because they've got one team, the Geelong Cats, which is a big famous footy team, and they've got this baseball team. So it's kind of a small town atmosphere. Then you got all the major major cities: Sydney, Melbourne, uh, Brisbane, the capital of uh, the country, Canberra, Adelaide in South Australia, and then Perth. They all round out the ABL. The season uh, usually it's done by rounds. Uh, they usually play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Friday doubleheader Saturday a single game on Sunday, some combination of that. Uh, don't play Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, unless maybe uh, it's an Australia Day special. But in general, uh, that's the way it, it works out. It, it's a lot like a college baseball season schedule-wise because you're playing these rounds, you're playing series, but they're like a weekend series without the midweek. So it's much like that. Um, but they play 10 rounds, and it's uh, – a it's competitive. Uh, you've got uh, several organizations in the major leagues sitting over players. Uh, Tampa, for example, the Rays send players to Perth. You've got players from Toronto over the years, Kansas City. Uh, you've got, uh, gosh, this last year had a bunch of Phillies players playing in Adelaide. And just over the years, uh, Major League Baseball has been sending uh, prospects over there to uh, get some extra winter ball time. So it's a it's a winter league, but it's the highest level of baseball in Australia and all the top players like to come home and play in the ABL. So, Dan, I think what's interesting, too, because I would talk to uh, Corel Prime, was a guy who went over and played uh, winter ball over there, and, and he, he used to mention the growth of, of the local talent. You know, when he, when he would first started venturing over to Australia, he, he's like a lot of firefighters who were playing weekends of baseball. And then, you know, towards the end of his time there, the talent really grow, grew. Uh, you know, as you said, you've been doing your show talking baseball in Australia since 2012. What have you seen as that league has grown? And what have you seen? I know they're putting out more major league talent now than they ever did. That's been the real key. Uh, the, the national program, the high performance program at the lower levels, the under 18s, the, the under 23s, the younger kids have been really competitive. It's been trying to close the gap between the Japanese and, and you know, the Dominican Republic and Cuba, who they'll face uh, tomorrow, and all the, all the big sides across the world, Korea, to close that gap is getting more opportunities. And they've been slowly but surely doing that. You've got players now playing in the U.S. minor leagues in both indie ball and affiliate ball. And you've got a lot of, a lot of kids, a good number of kids playing uh, junior college baseball and playing uh, Division One baseball and at different levels as well, uh, trying to encourage kids to take that next step and go play in the States, the college route especially, and get those extra two or three, four years before they're drafted or before they're signed as a free agent, one of the two, and uh, 
kind of, you know, get those reps. And that's, that's the real, the real growth is getting more opportunities where uh, 10, 12 years ago, uh, the opportunities weren't there. They were there, but they were still growing. And now you're seeing guys playing, taking, choosing baseball over cricket, uh, choosing baseball over footy, uh, choosing baseball over rugby. That's been the real key. And you're, you're seeing that uh, from a, a standpoint where kids are now going to play at the University of Missouri and the SEC or going to play in junior college down in Texas. They're, they're doing it where they weren't doing it uh, before. Yeah, I, I, we were, uh, Tim and I were talking off of air, and we were talking about the fact that I teach at a school here in the United States where, you know, we probably have, you know, 90 to 95 percent uh, of people who are, you know, are, are of Hispanic origin, and they were huge into the World Cup. I mean, they were watching World Cup when they should have been working on their classwork, on their phones. And, and it's always interesting to me to know, like, where do you see the interest level of the World Baseball Classic in Australia? You know, obviously it's not going to get as big as the World Cup, but, you know, where do you think that ceiling is, uh, you know, in terms of the interest? Scott, it's interesting. We were, I had this conversation on another show and then on my show earlier, the cultural differences and to compare it to, to Cuba, for example. Cuba's pressure is uh, – that's a baseball mad island, right? They, they, they stopped down for the Cuba national team. That's what they do. Uh, baseball has been played in Cuba, uh, for, you know, way before, way before the, the, the change of the regime back in the night, you know, in Cuba, Castro wasn't the first baseball baseball in the country. They've been playing baseball way before. Right. So it's a history of the game there. I mean, you can go back just a hundred plus years, how big Cuba baseball has been. Australia it's maybe a top 10 sport someday, sometimes sometimes top six. Uh, it's not culturally ingrained. We played baseball in Australia since the uh, the mining rush of the late 1800s and the United States uh, sent uh, uh, miners over that played in the gold fields in South Australia and in Western Australia. There's been baseball played there during the war as well when the U.S. had troops there. I mean, there's a history of baseball played, but it's always been sort of the, the it's been an afterthought in the Australian landscape. I mean, you've got a guy like Graham Lloyd, who was a setup man for the, uh, the Yankees back in the day. And he can, he's a six eleven guy. He can walk pretty much unnoticed except for he's six eleven, And you just think he's just an old footy guy because he's tall and you wouldn't know he was a former New York Yankee and no one would even know he would walk the streets of New York though. And people would know that's Graham Lloyd. He's a Yankee. And that's the cultural difference of the game. Uh, and that's where we're trying to close the gap. And that's why a win for Team Australia over Cuba going to Miami would be huge for the growth of the game over there because it's not a household sport in a sport-mad country. Uh, Australia has shown that if they will support their teams when they kind of reach a certain level, a great example is a soccer, is a national soccer team, has grown in importance and fandom over there as that program has grown. But Australia is always going to be – the national game is going to be footy, the AFL – and then, and then you've got your cricket and rugby are right there with them. Swimming's been big. Track and field's been big. But Australians love their sport. And I think we're on a cusp of hopefully growing the awareness. And I don't know if – baseball will never unseat footy over there. But I think it could be like basketball. Uh, you, you know, if you guys know this, the basketball programs are a professional league. The, MP, uh, the, MP, uh, the NBL, if I can say it right, has had phenomenal growth in Australia. Uh, they've got you know a really exciting fan base in that national league uh, that plays basketball at a, at a high level, and you've had a lot of players play in the states. So it's the same kind of deal. Don't know if we'll ever be footy, but we have a good chance to be basketball. 
And you mentioned how big the win was, Scott, and, and just not to overgloss. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Dan, you mentioned the win for um, Australia. This is the first time they've advanced to the quarterfinals, right? So what yep. – obviously – in America, that that's an afterthought for that team. Team USA should get there every time. But for someone who's never been there before, for a country like that, um, you know what? What are these guys looked at right now back home? I'm, I'm sure they're it, it, they're going to get that hero's welcome no matter what when they get home. But are they playing with house money, or you know what's kind of the thought process right now? Yeah, I th- I think the pressure is well, house money. They're playing for house money because they're playing house money because they're playing Cuba who everybody, you know, is loaded with major league stars and, and stars in the island. But it's a different kind of cultural pressure. There's a pressure to grow the game for the next next generation of kids to perhaps be a given they're going to go to this round. I mean, it's it's a different kind of pressure. They're very proud to play for the country, but it hasn't really moved. The, it, it hasn't quite moved the needle yet. It's starting to, and it's still going to be some time. It's probably going to be another classic uh, tournament where the where – the, the national team makes the final eight. You're going to have some moments like that. The game, the, the team did win a silver medal uh, in the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. I mean, that, that, that was probably the high watermark for baseball in Australia and the league, the professional league went away. And, and part of the problem that they had is that league went away for a while and trying to build that traction up. So you had a 10 year gap. You'd have a, a real pro league. And that's, that's part of it too. But really the, the, the big thing is these guys are playing for that flag. They're playing for the logo on the jersey. They're playing for the pride of the country. And they're also playing to hopefully grow the game for the next generation of players. So it's a different kind of pressure than, than I think any other country, uh, any, any of the baseball mad countries are having. I think it, it, one of the things that well, Tim and I were talking, I think we were texting back and forth, and I, and I told him this story. Uh, my cousin actually pitched for Tim, uh, Team Italy a couple of tournaments ago. And, you know, my great-grandfather immigrated from Sicily. And so my cousin is just as Italian as I am. And so yet he's qualifying for that team. You know, his proudest moment is he was able to get David Ortiz out on like a, you know, line drive right to the first baseman. You know, that he was a lefty specialist back in those days. But you notice that, yeah, you know, some of these teams are filling out you know, their rosters with guys that are not really from the country necessarily. And so I guess if we, if we expand this to global, like where do you see, you know, how can we grow the world baseball classic to where as many countries as possible can have their own guys, you know, playing in those games? Yeah, that, that's a challenge. You know, Australia's done a really good job of that. They've only had a handful of, there's been a handful of Americans that have gone over and played for the team and married, either married in Australia or have gone over and played over there and got their citizenship. There's been a few, but by and large, Australia has been pretty, pretty much Australian only. You know, there's a, I believe one player was born in South Africa, but has been raised in, in Australia. Uh, they've had a, uh, maybe a Kiwi as well uh, in that same situation. But in general, Australia's done a very good job of that. I think the biggest thing is is having a pro league. Uh, you just watched the, the Czech Republic, for example, who, uh, interesting side note, had a lot of uh, you know, a lot, a lot of baseball came over from some of the some of the Cubans would go work in the Czech Republic back during the Iron Curtain days. They brought some of that baseball to the Czech Republic. The Czech Republic to grow their game is going to need a pro a pro league that has some kind of I shouldn't say merit, but some kind of well maybe the word is merit, some kind of financial uh, gain. Maybe it's you know it's a, a minor league approach. Approach. I mean, having a pro league's huge. Uh, Japan obviously with a huge pro league, but Japan's also got uh, a huge 
minor league system and also everybody plays and there's an indie league and there's industrial leagues. It's got a huge uh, under system under the big leagues in Japan, Korea, same thing. Having a pro league is important. So a country like in Italy, uh, a country like the Czech Republic, uh, Germany has actually grown their game quite a bit. The Netherlands as well. And the Netherlands has a really a good, uh, a pretty, I say good, it's not quite, it's not American Association or AAA ball of the States, but it's still a professional league and, and players are going to play there. You need those pro leagues. And if you get those pro leagues, that'll keep those homegrown players dialed in because again, it's about opportunities. Uh, when, you know, when you know, these countries play baseball year round, having a pro league would help you play baseball year round. So, you know, having a pro league in Italy would be huge. I mean, a legitimate league that, you know, you know, I'm not saying going to make a, a bankroll of the deal, but you're playing at a high level, attracting high level of talent. That's going to help those countries. Dan, I, I know you didn't watch as much Air Hogs baseball as, as I did uh, when when Team China was there, but you were definitely around. Um, you know, five or six series over the, over the two years. What is it like to you know see? You mentioned the need for a pro league and. And at the time, you know, there was, before COVID, a plan to launch a professional league uh, in China. That that kind of has been delayed. But what do you make of what China did, essentially, to send their young, you know, talent to essentially be overmatched in in an American association environment and and basically say sink or swim? Um, You know, obviously, they didn't have a great results, but they were also in a really, really tough bracket there um, in, in the world baseball classic. You know, what, what do you think of, of that approach where there's enough independent leagues out there, some of them struggling for cash. Why not send some of these guys out and, and build and build a, a roster of young talent? Yeah. Two answers, two sided. I mean, from the league perspective, it was probably tough because the players were very, were very raw. But you look where that team, well, you know, yeah, they were in the t- you know, pool B. They got knocked around a bit, but they're much better than they were before. And I think they made progress because they played in a competitive league. It's all about at-bats. It's all about getting innings. And if you don't have those at-bats and innings, you're not going to close the gap. It's the same problem with Australia. Australia can't close the gap with the Japanese and the Cubans and Americans. Not more innings and more at-bats. Where are you going to get those? you got to play somewhere. And I think the thing that the Chinese did was it was a brilliant idea. I firmly believe that you're going to see at some point uh, a team from another country decide, you know what, or maybe not, maybe not just a team, but it's a governing body. Say, you know what, let's send our players to play at a, at a competitive level and, and go about it. I, I'm convinced I can put together right now a team of independent players in the American Association, the Frontier League, whatever league you want to put them in, and they'd have a good chance to win it. I really believe Australia's <laughs> Australia that far along. And the reason is because Australia's had a pro league for a long, a lot longer stretch. And prior to the 19, well, 2010 season, there was, a, there was a gap. But prior to that, the 90s and 80s, Australia had a TV deal nationally for baseball in Australia. Baseball was actually a pretty big thing back in the 1990s. It, and it, it, it lost that momentum. So I really believe the with the league – Taking those players and how are you going to get better? Playing the best talent in the world. I really believe you could do that. So I think what the Chinese did was a phenomenal thing. I mean, that was great. And, you know, I saw a few of those names I recognized, and they look better. I mean, they, they again, credit, they got a long way to go. They probably are looking at you know, three or four more classics before they can even advance, you know, to a 
number two finish. And that's probably a stretching it, but it's going to take some time. But I think they fast forward by playing in the American Association. I'm really surprised more teams haven't done that. I think you're going to see, at least from a from that part of the world, somebody else do it. Maybe it'll be Australia. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think the having your own competitive league really showed that first month of the season. Uh, you know, again, not a lot of our listeners watched a single pitch of Air Hogs baseball. And to be honest with you, as a guy who watched every pitch, you didn't miss a lot from the Chinese side of things, right? When they first got there, I'd say if we had 40 guys that showed up, 37 of them were completely overmatched. Um, but the nice part was maybe by the end of that season of those 40 guys, 20 of them were overmatched. And then at that point you can say, okay, here's our 20 base that we're going to work on our national team with. But it just goes to show you these guys were playing in the Chinese league. These were the best players that that league had. And if they would have not done what they did and they go to the World Baseball Classic, like it could have been four perfect games thrown against them essentially. And and that happened to, to a team out there. You don't want that to happen to you. So um, I, I agree with you. And I, I'm curious why – more countries haven't done it yet. I saw, I believe Australia's um, softball team did it with like a, uh, the softball league with the team in Chicago that was right next to where the dogs, uh, the Chicago dog stadium is. But I think you're right. There's enough Australian talent in the American association and frontier league and uh, like, you know, Canadian league, stuff like that, where you can put a team together in the, in the American association and it would compete. It's just, um, you know, I, I wonder if maybe the owners had a little sour taste in their mouth um, after what happened where, you know, the first year the Chinese were there, we set a, a record for most losses in a season in professional baseball. And then the second year they celebrated when they beat that record by two. So, I mean, like they won 27 games instead of 25. And they literally, when they got to 27, popped champagne in that locker room. So maybe that's why they looked down on it. Yeah, and I, I think, too, a little bit, and I, going back to that situation, you know, not a lot – I mean, I can't read Chinese. I, I don't pronounce the names properly, but I do speak Australian because it's the same English that I speak. I think there's a lot of that also, that cultural barrier, the fact that it's Australia would be a plus as well. I mean, who – you ever meet an Australian? Everybody was like, oh, you're from Australia. They want to ask questions. It's like, being a, it's like being a Texan when you go to New York. They ask you questions, right? I mean, it's like – it's a cultural thing. And I think that Australia has a certain kind of panache or whatever, this whole the, – the, the down under, the barbie, all that – all the, the crocodile dundee, but people ask those questions and vice versa. Having been an American in Australia, I can tell you how they ask me certain things that they want to know about a certain certain issues that we've gone through over the years. And there's no secret that we're also very close allies as two countries. And that's why I say that, you know, you look that perhaps, perhaps the Chinese thing, the idea is right. It's a great idea, but you didn't speak the language. They spoke the language of baseball, which is still universal language, but as far as promotions and community, you know, what, what's going to grow, you know, what, what a Grand Prairie at that time need, they needed promotions and all, you know, but you didn't have, guys that spoke the language. Well, in this case, let's just say it was an Australian team. It might've turned out a little differently. They might, you know, they would have won a few more games. They might add some, a little more support. I'm not saying they weren't having support, but what I'm saying is I think the cultural barrier of the Chinese language and the Chinese culture is a little harder to overcome as an American fan where an American fan perhaps will say, well, they're Australians and that they speak our language. So we'll go see them play. I think that's a plus. 
You know, I didn't think that's just a, a easier sell because I think I think you're right. The league probably says, well, we don't want to see a team lose X amount of games, but I'm convinced the Australians would lose X amount of games. They'd win uh, more games they would lose and be right in the mix for a postseason spot. I can tell you that right now. I think, you know, and what's interesting from, you know, if you were a major league scout, I mean, one of the big challenges whenever you're, you're talking about any player from any, you know, any part of the world is trying to gauge, you know, where that, you know, professional league is in comparison with what we have over here in the States. And it would seem like a great idea, you know, because a league like the American Association is an established league. You know, people know what level of play is there. And so I would think if you saw, you know, a team from Australia succeed in that league and certain, and particularly, you know, certain individual players probably thrive you would have a better idea of where that player is in comparison with you know, other players in the minors. I mean, Scott, I can say, I know even we weren't allowed to sell our Chinese players to the majors, but I know we had two guys who they wanted, like major scouts wanted from China. You know, we had a, a second baseman slash catcher named Li Ning, uh, who every team in our league would have traded for him if we could. Cause we would, we were the guys trading teams, trading teams, whoever they wanted at the trade deadline. Cause our owner wanted favors. <laughs> he was like, Hey, this guy's going to vote for me at some point, send him our best pitcher. Um, but we couldn't trade Chinese guys. We couldn't sell Chinese guys. So Li Ning was one that was wanted and Zong Tao, who was like the pitcher of the week, the last two weeks. Um, and I've, I've got a funny story with him, but I, I don't know if I can tell it cause he might get in trouble back home. But, um, but those two guys were wanted by major league scouts because we are, you got to remember too, as bad as our team was, we got Tyler Matzik back to the big leagues. We got uh, some other guys signed back to contract. We got Dylan Thomas uh, the year before we got him back in. So the opportunities there, even if the team that's 25 and 75 scouts are still seeing players. And even as bad as a lot of the Chinese guys were to start, we had two that stood out. So I can't imagine, you know, like going back to what you're saying, Australia would only benefit from from a partnership like that. It would just be finding an owner that um, would be willing to do something. And and I think it'd be great for a promotions point. What what stunk with China is we couldn't steer into it. You know, we were specifically told you can't have, like we wanted a gong for every time like somebody had a home run. We wanted to whack a gong. Like we wanted to be China. We wanted to sell egg rolls at the. We couldn't like. The city told us you can't do it that way. With Australia, we could have surfing night. We could do shrimp on the Barbie night. You could promote the living heck out of that. That's and that's the difference too. I think too with with the Australian point of view is that you know when a player gets released from an organization in the states, his option is either a to get picked up by an independent club or another team, or if he doesn't, he has to go back to Australia and he's not playing. And there are players who. For whatever reason, they get released all the time in in, in organizations, and they do get a, they get a second chance in the right organization, and they wind up making the big leagues. I mean, and the thing is, you've got big league Australians. I mean, Liam Hendricks is is the I think he's the third highest paid Australian athlete or second high. He's the second highest athlete in Australia as far as pay behind the Formula One driver. Uh, oh gosh, his name Ricarda. I can't even remember his last name. Anyway. The, the, the kid from Perth that's a Formula One driver, he's a, he makes the most money. Liam Hendricks, the second most money of any Australian athlete. So you've got, you've got a, a footprint of guys here. And what really hurt the Chinese deal, and you know this as well, Tim, is that those guys weren't going to get signed. 
that motivation has to hurt because you want those guys signed. You want those guys to go and, and, and get a chance to play at the high level. And that's one thing about giving a second chance. That's what Indy Ball is about. And the Australian point of view would be, hey, giving our guys a, a chance to be seen by, you know, kid was released by the White Sox, but heck, he's picked up by the Braves. And he goes on to make it to triple A or double A or on the big leagues. And it helps the big, it also helps your national team as well. It's all part of the puzzle. But I think the, the biggest mistake that hurt the Grand Prairie deal was those guys, they weren't being, they weren't had a chance to go be signed anywhere. And that, that to me kind of, well, it sucked because those kids, that motivation to pitch in Yankee Stadium wasn't there because that avenue was closed. What's, you know, and it's really interesting uh, on the minor league baseball side, because you know, we're seeing contraction uh, of minor league affiliates, you know, at least uh, the major league level, you know, most teams are you're going down to three or four, affiliates you know from the five six seven that they used to have and and baseball would really love i think that you know, at least the owners been pushing for an international draft um how do you how would you see that something like that impacting uh, young players from australia the the you're seeing a lot more guys go the college route we're trying to and i say we i know a lot of the folks with the higher ups in baseball australia and even i'll use western australia where i'm really tied into a lot of the high performance coaches are trying to encourage guys, young, young players to go the college route, whether it be junior college, uh, go to, you know, small college division one or whatever, because you sign it as an international free agent. So you get your hundred thousand or 80,000 or 60,000, whatever uh, you go in the pool, like everybody else. And you're probably going to wind up with the international players, a lot of Dominican players and, and Venezuelan players that happens in the organization and you become sort of a number. And you wind up kind of, you know, you, there's a pretty quick weeding out period, especially now that you've got fewer minor league opportunities, you get weeded out faster. Well, going the college route gives you perhaps two years of, you know, playing, you know, every day in, in, a, in, a, in a college atmosphere, you get sort of a regiment going, and then you you perhaps get picked up by a division one or two or whatever, same kind of deal. Now, of course, you can still get drafted. And what we've seen is kids wanting to go the college route and get drafted or, you know, stay the course and, and go that direction. We've been trying to encourage that because, you know, you get a, you get a kid signed unless he's a phenomenal can't miss prospect is a good chance that after two years, he might be when he, when he might be hitting his stride, he's let go where a kid goes the college route. He slowly builds his stride and builds his, his resume and his, he gets bigger, stronger and fundamentally better. And then he's either in the draft or signed as a free agent. So I, I think that's what we've been seeing trying to see young players go the college route, give them opportunities and buy them more time. I mean, the the kid that had a, had a phenomenal WBC for Team Australia, Robbie Glendening, uh, he went to uh, junior college in the States, went to University of Missouri, uh, was a two-year star in the SEC, uh, got drafted because he was – you get drafted as an international player playing college baseball. He got drafted by uh, – he's with the Royals now, but initially got drafted by the Pirates – uh, made it to double A, got hurt, and then he got picked up by the Royals. He's now at double A, triple A, uh, back and forth, and probably at triple A for the Royals this year. And Robbie went the college route, and, and that was the wise route to go. And now he's the WBC hitting home runs, you know, off of the Koreans. Hit two again on Friday, last Friday against Korea. So he's kind of the, the the guy you want to be like. You want to. We're trying to encourage more Australian players. And just in Texas alone, the junior college ranks are littered with Australians playing all over because they want to try to get by themselves some time because the pro route 
I mean, again, you, you go an international free agent, unless you're a can't miss, you become just a number and you get a chance to buy yourself some time, work on your game, and oh, maybe get a degree too. Kind of moving on a little bit just from, from Team Australia, Dan, I know uh, this is something Scott and I have talked about before, but why do you think with with Team USA, um, you know, they don't get as many of the huge name guys on the roster? Obviously, I mean, they got Trout this year, but when you look at the starting pitchers, you know, no Verlander, no Matt Scherzer, no Clayton Kershaw, you know, no no big guys where, you know, in other, in other countries, not only are guys – willing to play they're willing to claim i'm italian four roots back so they can play is it i mean obviously some of it's just get the exposure as, as we saw one player from nick rog you know got a contract after a good inning of throwing but you know why do you think with with team usa there's just not that desire to you know to put the, the jersey on yeah that's an interesting one uh tim i because I, I look at you know back let's go back to early 90s right late 80s, dream team basketball, right? When the dream team, first dream team was a huge deal, right? Because finally, we were going to see the best of the best, which we did. You know, Michael Jordan and David Robinson and company playing in the uh, playing in the Olympics. That was a huge deal, huge deal. Because, you know, growing up as a kid for me in the 70s and 80s, you know, amateurs played the Olympics. Pros didn't play in the Olympics. You fast forward now to World Baseball Classic where, for whatever reason, and I don't know if it's money, I don't know if it's fear of injury, I don't know if it's organizations saying, hey, no, is there something in the contract that says no? For whatever reason, it's not as big of a deal for American players to play for the World Baseball Classic. Now, it's gotten slightly better. You know, you mentioned Trout playing. You know, but you're right. The, the, the big names in general don't seem to be jumping by the bit where uh, it's a huge deal for players to go play winter ball if we're from Venezuela or Dominican Republic. It's a huge deal for those players from those countries to play for Cuba, Venezuela, Dominican Republic. That's a big deal. And I don't know I don't know why it is. I don't know but it's ingrained in us as 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 I say us as players that it's it that the money's more important. I don't know. It's it's a really interesting question. And I, I think it's something that Major League Baseball and uh you know baseball needs to decide because I I, I want to see the best I mean it's the best players from every country, right? Well, you want to see the best arms that are healthy, the best batters that are healthy. And whatever reason, for some reason, baseball's not crossed that bridge. Where in basketball, the dream teams have always been a pretty big deal. I mean, it seems like a bigger deal, but I don't have an answer, Tim. I'm kind of I'm perplexed like you because it, it makes no sense to me where you know the only reason Liam Hendricks is at pitching for Team Australia because he's going through his uh, you know his health issues right now. And, you know, that, that's the main issue. That's it. And you, you, if you've got a big league guy, he, chances are he's going to play for his home country, barring injury or some kind of health scare. But it's not that way in the States. And I don't know why. I, I didn't guess, help you yeah, out there, Tim. I didn't help you out. It's a big challenge, you know, because I think, you know, when you mentioned the Dream Team, you know, that, that obviously takes place during the summer, which is the off season for the NBA. And I think – this kind of goes back to my, you know, the first question I opened up with was when the Australian league plays. It, it, everybody's playing at a different time. Yep. And so, you know, something Tim and I talked about off air is, I, you know, there, I don't know that there is a really a perfect time to play the World Baseball Classic. Because, yeah. I mean, you could, you could move it to November, you know, which, 
for the big league players, but then things get too cold depending on you know where you're putting it. And uh, and then of course the other leagues are not uh, ramped up. And so it's just so hard with the pitchers, I yeah. think, in particular. I think you're right. And, two, you know, if you're – I mean, I don't fault a guy who's – you know, let's say you're on your – you've got a chance to get that second contract and you've – you know, you're, you're, you're trying to work for that second contract and going to spring training and being in shape and being the best is what you're trying to do. Yeah, you want to play for your national team, but, gosh, you got a chance to set your family up for 10 lifetimes. I mean, I, I sort of – I sort of get it. I mean, I get it. Um, you know, I get it. Now, there's a, there's the, r- the rare case of a Dave Nielsen, who's the manager of Team Australia. I believe it was the 2000 Olympics. He took a, a, a sabbatical from the Brewers and from the big leagues and never got back to the big leagues. Never went back because he was wanting to – but he was the tail end of his career. He was actually kind of the, the, the last couple of years of his career. Dave Nielsen you know, went and played for Team Australia. Those do happen. But in general, I don't fault a guy for, you know – I mean, it, it's a tough call. I can't tell you right now, hundred percent, that I'd you know, give it a chance. Okay, I'm going to be healthy. I got a chance to be have a great year and perhaps have a huge contract. I'm a free agent coming up. I'm going to make you know more than I got now, and I've got a lot of money now. I mean, but then again, you ask yourself, what's too? When do you get? When is it? When is uh, enough enough? And I get it. I sort of get the, the two sides of it, and you know, the timing of it. You're right. The timing of it, uh, Scott is right because when are you going to do it? You're going to do it in July. Take a break in July. I mean. It's it's hard to do that. I mean, it's just really hard. You can't do it in November because you got the you know World Series going on. I mean, when are you going to do it? And I, I think they probably had the best window now to do it right here. No, I, you're you're definitely right. It's tough to fit that in. I think spring training is probably the best. And and one of the things that I find interesting, I think, because I, I don't know, cats out of the bag here. Scott and I are both Astros fans, and we were talking um, about Fromber, right? You know, I think he was a prime candidate of. of what you're talking about, except it's not even a second contract. He's looking for that first ever, um, you know, big payday. And, you know, coming off a great year last year, puts it together again this year, the odds are he's going to get a big fat extension. Um, so you totally understand why he doesn't do that. But he also talks about he just wants to have a good year. He wants to go win a World Series. And to him, that's the priority. Um, you know, as Astros fans, you love to hear that. Uh, obviously, I'd love to see him compete against the best. But, you know, what are your thoughts on where do you, as a fan, do you prioritize? I want my best player to go play in this. Do I want to see Kyle Tucker play in this? Um, you know, I think to me, it's I like the hitters to do it because I think they get some some better live at bats earlier in this or in the spring, and they're able to maybe start start a little harder, hotter. But I I don't really want my best starters in there. I you know Scott and I are a little worried about Ryan Presley getting extra. Um, you know, high leverage innings at a time of year that he wouldn't normally have that. Where, where are you with that thought process of, you know, if you're really a contending team, do you want your players doing this? No, uh, I'll give you two answers as American and, uh, you know, Ranger fan, whatever. No, I, don't, I want my best players ready to go and win the World Series. That's what it's all about. But as an Australian fan and a legal resident of Australia, I want them to have the best players. So it's, it's it really, I think it depends on where you're coming from. I imagine if you're from Cuba, you want your best players playing for the Cuban national team and not for the series national. If you're, uh, I, I think Japan is sort of in the same boat. The Nippon, I mean, Atani's playing for the Japanese. And of course, he's the most you know, popular, you know, most well-known player internationally right now. You know, I think the Japanese are very happy that he chose to be part of the Japanese team. But I imagine the Angels are probably saying, or these Angel fans are saying, 
well, I'd sure like to see him save those innings for us in the, uh, in the, in the AOS. So I think it kind of depends on perspective for us as Americans. I believe, I mean, we sort of think we're going to somehow by default win the whole thing anyway. So it's going to be all good. Uh, but at the same time as an Australian fan, I want the best players, but as an American fan, yeah. I get it, man. I kind of, I mean, I want, <laughs> I want the Rangers to do well. So I want them to do all they got to do to get, get better and be well. If that means being the spring training and not, Blowing their arm out, playing the WBC, then I'm all for it. It's uh, it's a fascinating push pull, you know, situation because I, you know, as as a you know, pure baseball fan, see, you know, for instance, you know, Tebow Lily, which I, I kind of root for, you know, on the side in, in Australia, advance is only better for the World Baseball Classic as a whole because you know the very first few ones they played, you know, you're looking at some of these countries that are in, it's like. They have a team, you know, but, yeah. but I think seeing more success in different places around the world just lends more legitimacy to it. And, and hopefully, you know, it gets some momentum moving forward. I, I agree. And think, we'll go back to the whole team, the dream team thing. It kind of got boring. You know, I mean, early on, I mean, they just waltzed through the, the, what the first, gosh, how many Olympics they just rolled through it. It was just, they didn't lose one until, I mean, it was, it took them like what, 20 some odd games to lose a game. It was sort of like, okay, it was a battle for second place. Now, there's some good second-place teams out there. I mean, there's some good basketball being played worldwide, but it was a huge gap to the U.S. It's U.S. and everybody else, right? Well, in baseball, the gap's not quite as is quite as drastic. It's, you know, U.S. and Dominican and Puerto Rico and Cuba and Japan and Korea. They're all any given night, and that's I think that's what makes the base, WBC so much more enjoyable to me and why, you know, I'm with you. You want to see your best, and you, it's competitive where – you know, that, that, that to me is what I want to see. I want to see the best players and there's a good chance that it won't be the USA every year. It hasn't been the USA every year. That's what that makes the WBC to me so much better than playing the, you know, than, than what the basketball world cup is. I wanted to ask your thoughts as someone who, you know, you pay attention to international leagues. You mentioned uh, the validity of the, of the Japanese league and news came out today. Um, that Trevor Bauer is is going to sign over in Japan. Um, you know, to me, I'm wondering, Dan, is it more he couldn't find a contender he wanted, so he went to Japan, or did literally every team in baseball say, you know, we don't want any part of this guy? Because I, you know, why did the Pirates not throw two million? You know, there's got to be a, a Kansas City or someone who. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. And if, you know, is this something that's going to be good for him or is he just, you know, just trying to play wherever he can at this point? I think he's, I think it's the latter. I mean, play wherever you can at this point. I mean, it seems like I found it very interesting that no one took a flyer on him. I mean, I'm right with you. I mean, you know, uh, uh, there's some teams out there that could have used, could have used him. I mean, I, I think at the same time though, going to Japan can has reset a lot of careers and really kickstarted, or a return career for guys. You go over there as a import and you go over there kind of as an outsider, but you become maybe passionate again. I've heard players talk about playing Japan, gave them more passion again, because it's a different experience. Going to a game in Oceania in Korea or Taiwan or uh, in Japan is a whole different experience. It's, it's like going to games, the Caribbean world series, they're different experiences. And I've heard players talk about that. So I think it's part of it. You know, the money, the money was there as well. Uh, be a, maybe a chance to reset his career and push that reset button and say, okay, go to Japan and kind of get my whatever it is I got to get right. 
between the years and all that. And, and boom, come back five years later, or three years later, or two years later, whatever it is. And at the worst case scenario, he's going to make a pretty good living over there, uh, you know, and possibly kind of reset his career. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I was sort of shocked. I mean, I would, I think the Japanese league is a phenomenal league. It's the second best league in the world. But uh, I don't even know what the total would he get. Uh, what did he get? I don't even know what the, what, what the contract was. I'm trying to find the contract here, but uh, what he made in U.S. dollars over there. But I don't think the terms were announced. But, uh, again, I think it's great that uh, – it's great. It's great with the game over there. At the same time, you know, I'm shocked that he didn't get a chance to play. And somebody pick him up over here. I'm shocked. I mean, there's surely it was a team, but I think they all turned their back. Yeah, I hate to conflate to uh, these two different people because I mean, uh, just the circumstances are so different. But it almost seems more like a Colin Kaepernick situation where it's not the skills, it's not the ability. It you know, it's something else. And, you know, I guess for him, I say it's it's fortunate that baseball has that extended community of, of different leagues around the world uh, where Kaepernick just never really had that opportunity, you know, to play somewhere else and, and keep active. Obviously, you know, we're, we're throwing a bunch of, you know, weight on, you know, the moral different implications of, you know, both cases. But uh, this seems similar in that it's it's definitely not ability that's keeping him out of major leagues. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It, it's not the ability. It's 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 untouchable right now. But again, like I said, we've seen so many players go over there and re-kickstart their career, hit the reset button for whatever reason. And we're a forgiving bunch, you know. Eventually, in general, we're a forgiving country. In general, eventually, uh, you you kind of do the time and you you're welcome back. And I think that he's got a great opportunity here. I mean, this is again where the the I've noticed this. Japanese are, are baseball mad fans over there and they are, they are not, they're not rude. They're not, uh, they're very passionate, but they're not, they're not uh, vengeful. They're, you're not going to hear, you know, a, a Yankees and a Red Sox series, whether it be played at either Fenway or Yankee stadium, it's pretty, pretty round, wild up bunch, right? The fandom can be pretty riled up on each other, right? The Japanese are not nearly like that. They're very passionate. They make more noise, but they're very respectful. And I think they sort of draw the line between respect and letting, you know, they're not, he's not going to hear, and what he, what he would hear being Japanese anyway, he's not going to hear a lot of negative talk over there. And, and if he reads the paper, he's not going to read much Japanese anyway. So I think it's a great situation for him to try to get his, whatever it is he's got to get fixed, right? Between the years, I say. And I think that's an opportunity where, you know, playing anywhere in the States, it, that opportunity wouldn't be there. I still remember my first year working in, in professional baseball. There was a, a player by the name of Chase Lambin. And, you know, he's an unbelievably nice guy. You know, a triple-A player at best, right? Um, kind of realized that in the States, goes to, goes to Japan, and was loved over there. They, you know, they had a dance for him every time he came up to the play. You know, they really get into it. And I think, you know, I, I'm not a huge Bauer fan as a, as a guy, you know, he talked a lot of, of negative things about the Astros. So even like before he got into legal trouble, I already didn't like him. Um, so I don't necessarily care that he's not playing here, but I really do think you're right. I think this is going to be a really good situation for him. And I think he's, there's a chance he could be a star over there, right? Because at the end of the day, if he's still got his stuff, 
Uh, he was still one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. He's going to a little bit less quality league. He should theoretically dominate over there. And and as you said, Japanese people love baseball in that country. They're a baseball crazed country. So if you go over there and you shove and you're flamboyant as as he is, um, he's going to stick out because a lot of the players in the Japanese league are more reserved. But he's a guy with some mound antics, um, and he I, he's going to stick out. And if it's if he's doing it in a way that's fun and he's winning, he could be a star over there. And again, he's a guy with a huge YouTube channel. Maybe that's possibly what goes into it. If he's trying to grow that YouTube channel and trying to grow what he does uh, as a digital media, as a content guy, it's a pretty genius move if you can go become a star in Japan as well. Huge, huge move. It's only a one-year deal now, and that's, you know, that goes into it as well. If you know, if there can be buyer's remorse, they can always back out. And he's not not tied to a you know four or five year deal. If they love what they're going to do, they can extend him and, and really renegotiate and give him the make him even a richer man than he already is. So a lot of possibilities there. But I'm with you. I think that the Japanese fandom, again, they are not a they're not a real vengeful fan base. That's just not their style. And they are very they they're not going to they're not going to dive into the moral implications or anything at the moment until they have to. Does that make sense? They, whatever he did in the States, he didn't do there. Now, if he does it there, different story, right? Different, totally different story. But I just think in general, this is just a good reset all the way around for him. And uh, again, I'm trying to find the contract details. I thought I had that, but I didn't have it. But uh, uh, playing, and, and I, I still think it's the second best league in the world. Uh, the Nippon is a phenomenal league and you're going to, you're going to, He's going to benefit. You're right. He's going to. They love their import stars. They love them. They're hugely popular. And I mean, I was, saw a story about uh, one of the Korean players. I'm sorry, one of the Cuban players who went over there and, and had a so-so year seven or eight years ago. And he's still beloved over there. So it's not uncommon. Those, those fans are hugely, hugely loyal to the imports. Right. Uh, one of the things, and, and I mentioned my cousin earlier, but my, uh, my cousin. Uh, He's, he's really, you know, reframed the way that I think about, you know, success. Because he, he pitched one-third of an inning for the Astros in 2006. That's it. Well, he'll forever have a zero ERA in the uh, baseball encyclopedia. But, you know, the thing is there's so many players around the world, and there's only 26 spots times 30 teams. And so, you know, we have to reframe, you know, what success, you know, how we define success in terms of, you know, professional baseball, where guys go. And, uh, I, I haven't had the ability to go to Japan, but I know my wife traveled there on business and she walked around the corner and saw, you know, a building size picture of Randy Johnson that she said almost gave her a heart attack, you know, seeing it, uh, that shocked her. But yeah, she went to, you know, I think a game over there and she, she echoed the same things that, they, that they're, you know, they're really passionate about their baseball. Uh, you know, they're really into American baseball, you know, and so it was, you know, very fun to see how they followed Ichiro and, uh, and, and, and Shohei Otani, you know, obviously, you know, and, and so hopefully that's some, a place for, at least for his sake, that he could, he could land and at least experience some success. Dan, you know, we're getting to a point in the show and we wanted to invite you to participate in this. Every week, Scott and I, you know, we pay close attention to both the news and sports and politics. And in the sports world, sometimes there's stuff that just, it gets in our craw. 
You know, it, it doesn't sit well with us. Um, and this, this is our moment. We take it every week to, to call those people out, you know, and we wanted to, uh, you know, invite you if you wanted to participate. If, is there something going on in the sports world right now that you would say, man, this guy's really a, he's a sports D bag. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, well, I'm trying to think here. I, I I kind of find it interesting. Now I'm gonna have to I'm gonna go basketball route here. Uh, I'm a Texas Tech grad. Um, I found it interesting that uh, Chris Beer got a job at Ole Miss, but the interim coach at University of Texas, who's got a number two seed, hasn't got a interim tag taken off his name yet. I I find that find that sort of hard to believe. Uh, that's Again, I'm not really calling anybody out as far as a bad individual. You can kind of, uh, you know, you can kind of do your own. You you can you can judge once you, you know judge yourself anyway. But um, I just found it interesting. I, I I mean, Ole Miss decided uh, to go that route, and uh, I just found it interesting that you've got a guy down there at Austin who's uh, doing his thing, and you got you know took over during all that turmoil. And, you know, Rodney Terry is still the interim coach, acting coach of the University of Texas. And Chris Beard, who had all the legal trouble, is uh, got a job at Ole Miss. I just find that interesting. I find it odd. And I guess I'd also say, uh, I was going to say Jerry Jones, but I think something, the Cowboys made a trade. So I guess they sort of did something. But uh, he's an easy target for me always. Jerry's always in my crosshairs. So I, I'll throw him out. But I would just think it, in general – the fact that Ole Miss hired Chris Beard before uh, Terry had taken the interim term or interim tag off his name to me stood out. It's still kind of kind of a head scratcher. I'm not sure why that's the case. And you were a guy got you in the, the you know, got you in the '64. And I mean, what's the guy got to do? I mean, the guy took over and, and beat Kansas twice in ten days. Come on, what's he got to do? That's my take right there. I like it. That's a good one. That's a good one, Scott. What do you got for us this this week? Well, I'm going to stick with the NFL. Uh, And you notice the Bears made a huge trade, the number one overall pick. Uh, They had the number one overall pick, they trade with Carolina. They get, uh, you know, obviously the ninth pick, they get the second rounder this year. They get a first next year, they get a second. And then I think a number two and DJ Moore throwing it on top of that. I'll go to the Bears. To which my my, uh, scumbag for the week is Nick Casario because I think ultimately he's the one that was in charge of that last football game that should have been lost. And and when Tim and I talked about this in an earlier episode, you you really can't ask coaches to try to lose. You can't ask players to try to lose. So really that's up to the general manager. General manager needs to go and say, you know what? This quarterback doesn't need to play. This wide receiver doesn't need to play. This offensive tackle doesn't need to play. You know, let's see the young kids and just see how they do. But, you know, when somebody sits there and says that there's no difference between the first and second pick of the draft, I say you're either naive or just stupid because, you know, look at all the bounty. Now, when the Texans have traded the number one overall pick, I doubt it. I I think they would go in, they would pick their quarterback. But just to see – how much somebody was willing to pay to move up to that spot shows you just how valuable that is. And, you know, losing that last game to the Colts would have been so easy. And yet here we are. 
It's a good one. You're right. He, uh, he blew that one. We we really did. Uh, I guess it's my turn, and I this is one that I'm going to take a little bit different angle on it. You know, when I was when I was in the booth back in the day, my first three innings I always had Billy Martin Jr. Uh, who would do the first three innings with me. And, and honestly, you never knew what you were going to get with Billy. You didn't know if he was going to be drinking beer on there that day or if it was going to be whiskey or maybe he didn't drink that day. But what you did know is that when an umpire took a shot anywhere off any part of his body, Billy was excited about it. And this umpire is the reason why, right? Everybody in the world has seen this video um, of the college umpire that was calling the uh, University of New Orleans against Mississippi Valley State game where you know the umpire felt he was shown up on um, a 1-1 pitch and then makes an unbelievably just egregiously bad call on the 1-2 pitch that rings this guy up and that's the end of the game. Now, to me, that guy is, is a sports D-bag on his own. But to me, the ones that are worse, and these are the ones that I really want to go after, is everybody in the comment section saying, high school ump here, bad call, but. Anybody who says bad call, but, the player showed up, the umpire, he deserved that, you're out. You're out for me. You have no idea what you're doing. You know, a strike's a strike. At the end of the day, you can't act like that. And one of the things as broadcasters is, is I always prided myself is I'm not going to insert myself into the game. And I, I always felt the same thing for an umpire. You don't make yourself a part of the game. That guy did make himself a part of the game, and that's why he got suspended. And yet there's still people out there who literally are coming to this guy's defense because he was, quote-unquote, shown up because a batter in the bottom of the ninth inning gets a little bit emotional. Those people are just – they're the worst. The, the comment people who just always have to take the other side and defend an umpire like that. Like I used to get upset when Billy would say things like, oh, he deserved it when an umpire took a shot and the gonads off a foul ball. And we would hear stuff from the league manager because Billy would say that. But now I, I kind of start to agree with it, with what Billy uh, what Billy was feeling there. You know, I just didn't have the um, liquid courage to say those things on air. Notice, Tim. Notice, Tim. And, and I think because I sent this to you on Twitter. Notice how this issue was framed because, I mean, it, it's just it shows you where we are you know, in the state of baseball. Angel Hernandez. I mean, Angel Hernandez had nothing to do with that call. He, I mean, he's he's obviously a major league umpire, has been for years, but everybody's attaching Angel Hernandez's name. And the fact that we have three or four, you know, Eric Gregg was one of you know one of the worst ones years ago. Uh, I remember it was ninety seven Marlins where you know balls foot outside are being called strikes. It was the most ridiculous thing, but. If there hasn't been a better advertisement for electronic balls and strikes, I don't know what is. Yeah, I'm not a fan of all the new rules, but <laughs> electronic zone, I don't know about you, Dan. It, it could have been used in the American no. Association. Some of those umpires needed help with the zone. No, no doubt. And, and and I thought when I first saw that video, I thought it was a, a joke or some kind of stage bit. I was I, I had flashbacks, the naked gun when 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 uh, uh, you know, the umpire does, you know, calls the st strike and it's not, extra I mean, that's what I thought. I thought it was some kind of bit that they were doing. I had no idea that was, a, I thought I had to watch it like four or five times. Wait, that's, that's actually a really, a real game. And then and, and, and I, it was so unbelievable. It was funny because the, the catcher was realized it was also crazy. And he was sort of trying to get between the batter and the umpire as well to save whatever was about to happen. I just thought it was 
a bizarre thing. And I couldn't believe I'm like going, that's a real game. And it was like, and I'm like, that's a college game. Crazy, crazy stuff, man. It, it was, but Dan, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us. I think this has been, you know, probably one of our more interesting sports episodes where we're kind of just able to take our hat off and, and, and learn a little bit more about the international game and how the game's growing and, uh, you know, I know we're both really appreciative that you were able to come on and join us. Hey, anytime, guys. I'm here to help you anyway. Appreciate uh, the time. Definitely, Dan. It's been a blast. You know, thank you for joining us. And I think, too, as, as we get maybe a little closer to the start of, of the season, we, we've got to have you back on. We'll do some, uh, you know, preseason predictions. And I think what I'd love to get into some, uh, some booth stories with you at some point, too, because I, I, I know I have guys that, I thought were studs when I watched them play in the, you know, in, in the Atlantic league or the American association. And I'd, I'd love to know who you thought were some of the guys that you were just unbelievably surprised that, that they, they didn't get picked up or didn't go the way that they thought it would. So we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back on again. Absolutely guys. Appreciate it, mate. All right. Well, we appreciate everybody who joined us this week as uh, this has been, you know, an unbelievably interesting episode. We're going to, um, have a little bit more of an interview with Nate Gutierrez coming up a little bit later. Um, but we appreciate everybody who joined us here uh, with Dan for uh, some Australia talk. Uh, and then Scott and I will uh, be back on our normal schedule. We'll have a regular sports show out for you Friday. All right. Snap hook listeners, big opportunity here as we welcome in uh, the former general manager of the Texas Airhawks, Nate Gutierrez. Nate was vital in, um, you know, bringing Team China over and helping them train for what was this World Baseball Classic. And uh, we thought Nate would be a good guest to kind of talk a little bit about that experiment and uh, kind of how it played out. Thanks for having me, Tim. I think you uh, did a little disservice by not saying Texas Airhawks powered by Shogang Eagles, but that's probably right. for uh, a later part of this conversation. So you, you mentioned, uh, you know, as you said, we were powered by Shogun Steel. It was a really an, an interesting partnership. Uh, you know, when we had Dan on earlier in the episode, we did talk a little bit um, about what we did. But, uh, you know, I think you're probably the perfect person to talk a little bit about, you know, what happened and how what played out. Uh, and I think we could talk a little bit about the players together. But you really were, were more behind the scenes and. Um, you know, finding a way to house 40 Chinese guys coming over to America. Definitely a challenge. Um, moving them around, a, a van situation, uh, language barrier, and putting them in certain places, uh, cultural differences. Yeah, I think we could go on and on. But probably a good summary or a good place to start is it was a two-year deal, how they got here to begin with. Former owner of the team, worked in the NBA for many seasons, brought over the first um, – Chinese basketball player to the NBA um, remained in connection with the minister of sport or the sports relationships in China. Um, many years later, uh, after bringing over the first Chinese player, he acquired a independent baseball team uh, on a side venture. He then decided to parlay that former relationship with Chinese uh, minister of sport into us hosting their national team, and uh, we'll have plenty of time to kind of discuss what all that entailed, but that's kind of setting the scene for the backstory to the to the real story, which is um, hosting them for 100 games for two consecutive seasons, 
Um, they usually would arrive around April 15th, two weeks, uh, kind of two weeks before the season-ish, spring training, or no, like a month before, because in the lead-up time to spring training, uh, flying them, busing them around the country to play Midwest independent baseball teams to try to get better and accompanying them with probably one of the best back-end uh, bullpens the American Association has ever seen, followed by um, – you paused, Tim. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. You're good. Um, and uh, pl- play that out. Truly try to develop their skills. Obviously, we had to integrate a lot of American players, building a locker room, building a clubhouse chemistry, trying to win games, trying to culturally integrate them while enhancing their skills was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but probably a better way to phrase it as a once-in-a-lifetime challenge because it came with lots of challenges that helped me and all of us probably professionally grow um, and hopefully help them grow in somewhat we saw play out in the World Baseball Classic. So I think one of the things that was interesting as well, um, you know, results aside, the the first year the team was here in America, they, you know, did not have the success that uh, I think a lot of our fans thought they might when, when they found out a team from China was sending their Olympic roster over and then we we went on to set a, a record for losses in the season and lowest winning percentage in the history of professional baseball. But in that, in that off season, you know, team China decided, you know, you guys go ahead and hire the coach of the air Hogs. Cause initially they sent over their WB to coach and, and, and coach McLaren. Uh, and then you guys had the ability, you know, as a front office to bring in Chris Bando. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I personally saw, uh, in that second season, a lot more professional growth in that ball club than we saw in year one. You know, what was it about finding a guy like Chris Bando? You know, what do you think he brought to the table? And, and why did you guys inevitably go with him as as the guy to, to groom these young players? Um, getting back to your first statement about the expectation, maybe for some, and upon hearing the announcement, I think some of that was naivete. Some of it was not understanding what, players we were actually getting where they were coming from what experience they had and early on in the process that was even an unknown to some of us in the front office and up until some of the last dates uh you see a lot of names on the rosters you have no clue what their background is how many years they've played because the chinese professional baseball league is touch and go and it has been for the history of its existence they play a year or two they fold they start up they fold uh furthermore the two years that they came here, they sent a lot of the same players, but I would essentially say two different team ideologies. The first year they um, maybe wanted to win more American association games. They wanted to kind of show some kind of what they were bringing to the table, what their, some of their best players could do. Um, As you mentioned, it didn't, they didn't see the success that they wanted early on coming back for year two they replace some of the maybe better older guys with some younger guys with more upside potential and that for the push on the second year was more on development as the first year was naturally development and get them better. But there was much of a slant towards winning where I think the second year was an understood, they understood their position a little more coming over and what kind of players they should send and how to develop them. So with the second year in mind, we have now a manager opening and with the mindset that this is really about growth and development, 
we go and procure Chris Bando, who is a teacher of the game, a been around the game a long time, d- deep understanding of the game, uh, but also personable, relatable, um, was open to the opportunity. I think there were some managers that weren't open to the opportunity at all that we may have thought have been good fits. So that was part of the equation. He was open to the opportunity. He was encouraged to teach. I think he was in a he's in a position where he wants to give back to the game a little bit from the teaching side. Um, and so I think it was just a combination of a lot of factors that made him a good fit for a team that's trying to develop uh, in a tricky situation too, in that on the backside of you got 18 to 23 year old um, Chinese national team players here to develop. And by develop, we mean bare basics, base runnings and outfield cutoffs, double cuts, simple stuff and then you have guys who have been in the major leagues in and out of the major leagues touch the major leagues and ultimately tyler matzik gets back to the major leagues from that team he goes from that team to a double a team to a triple a team into the major leagues uh and so from a manager's perspective it can't be all about development because you have another half of a roster that's already developed they're trying to take that next step now and there's a balance of that in which it's an extremely hard position. I, I couldn't imagine being in, even in that seat on the field, trying to manage a locker room and the tempos and the, and the attitudes that flare up. Uh, and I think he did a great job and we're you know, happy to have him. And we wish we could have continued that thing. I think Chris kind of had them going in the right direction on direction on development stage, give him another year. Uh, I think it would have been really cool to see. And I think you're, you're headed to an interesting point there with, we would have liked to see another year, right? You know, 2019 was a, a season where they did improve on win losses over the year before, even though this was the younger crew. Uh, if you looked at the second half of the season record versus the first half, they were a much better ball club in year two. And you know, I, I think you and I both remember those those last two homestands of the season where I think we only lost one game and several walk-offs. And it was just, you know, it was um, – probably the most exciting time as an Airhawks fan in what, six or seven years. If you look back through how bad that team had been, uh, you know, and then unfortunately COVID happens and not only do the Chinese players not come back to grand grand Prairie, most of them haven't played any professional baseball. Cause as you mentioned, you know, not, there was a, a plan for our owner, Donnie Nelson to launch a, a pretty big time Chinese league that folded the other Chinese baseball league folded. So, you know, it's it's really a kind of interesting situation where these guys going into the World Baseball Classic, even the ones that got some great seasoning in the American Association, they, they haven't seen live ABs in, in two years. So, I, you know, it's kind of an interesting way to judge these guys on on did our experiment work when, you know, we haven't got a chance to, to keep it going, essentially. Well, and I think facing Shohei Otani, even if they had been playing for three years, wouldn't have been a good barometer of did our experiment work. If you understand where they came from, I think getting back to had we had another year, how how they were developing, a lot of it I think was confidence. They had felt they had started to feel like they belonged. They started to feel like they could compete a little bit, as opposed to I, th- I think a good mental summary of where they were mentally in the baseball knowledge of things was a high school team, maybe a freshman sophomore in high school, with the amount of reps or mental capacity of the baseball world that they had facing guys who were throwing 95 guys who understood how to get you out with off speed. It took them a year and a half to start to grow enough confidence to say, to get into the box and say, I can handle what he's throwing up here. 
there was early on when you could have thrown 90 miles per hour right down the heart and that would have been enough to mentally and physically overpower them a year and a half later that began to transition uh you see a pitcher uh win player of the league uh player of the week for the league best pitcher in the entire league for the week uh is back a good to back of- weeks too back to back it's a great sign of development um and where they were kind of falling into place but yeah unfortunately COVID happened um and to that point they haven't played and i think what's interesting about the chinese baseball and them coming to grand prairie i think that any venture that they want to go into to get better is going to be reliant on a partnering country because they have no almost no history of baseball and that's why they're kind of trying to expedite this process and i think when you think about where they are uh politically uncertain things it gets interesting about who they could partner with and i think it's interesting to think about where the relationship stands today if if we could do that relationship again or or not just a different different scenario so i think it's they're they're always going to be an interesting spot in in the world of baseball i don't think it's ever going to get to a point of competing on the national i mean on a grand stage i think they're kind of on par with the uk it'll always be a secondary sport if they can kind of grow to a point where they can get some fans and uh make a league out of it and kind of continue to grow the game for what it's worth to them that will be a success so you know when we talked to dan too one of the things he mentioned because he he really enjoyed the you know the idea of what Team China was doing and and you know we both talked about why other national teams or you know why a team like Australia doesn't send some players over or something like that um, you know but one of the things that he said could have been a detriment and I agree with him was uh, there was no opportunity for those guys to get some seasoning at another level right we had a couple I'd say probably two two guys on that ball club and and Li Ning and Zong Tao that. Um, you know, scouts did ask about, and, you know, immediately we had to say no. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, that that's what's holding China back is what if what if Li Ning finds a way to the big leagues? You know, Yao Ming is the reason that basketball became popular in China because he, you had a star. You know, you need that first that first guy to break through. And, you know, to me it would have been Li, it would have been ZT, one of those guys, because they were the ones who got it. They were the ones who soaked it up. You know, when early on in the year, you had the player hitting coach and Josh Prince. Um, and, and anywhere that Josh Prince went, leaning went with him because he knew that this guy had been to the big leagues. This guy had been around AAA. He knew what it took to be successful. And I need to be successful. Let me follow him. It took it took some of the other Chinese guys, I'd say half a season to to realize that. But I think you as well did a good job of bringing in certain players that um help those guys buy in right we had eric manoa came into the club mid-season and, and eric's a guy who ran sta- stadium stairs every day and you know the chinese guys started seeing the success that eric had and then what do you know some more of those chinese pitchers are running stadium stairs every day with eric and now we're getting six seven inning starts out of some of those guys so i, I think you did a good job of finding those uh, i guess veterans or, or you know a locker room additions to help complement that team it was a dance for sure. And it was a tricky dance in that there's a lot, there's a, such a variety of players that play in the American association than 
I say that in the sense that there's some touch and go guys, some guys that for one reason or the other come into the league and quickly leave for good or bad. They don't, they're not good enough to play in the league and they quickly leave or they're too good for the league and they quickly get called back up to an affiliate program or et cetera. Uh, and then there's some lifers in the league. There's some guys that have been in the league 10, 12, 15 years that are integral to roster construction and winning a championship in the league. Uh, so how other teams are putting together the rosters consisted of a variety of young players, up and comers, a few veterans, a few hanger ons. In our case, it was uh, of a 23 man roster, 15 Chinese national team guys, eight, 15, 18 to 23 years old, uh, about five guys that were on the brink of kind of getting called back or wanting to get called back. When you think about, Carlos Contreras, Brett Eibner, Tyler Matzik, Josh Prince. Um, those were guys that had been in the minor leagues or, or been in the big leagues or kind of close, um, and they were ready to go back. On the So that's on the other extreme. These other guys are way here. They can't go anywhere. They're tied to our team, purely development. These other guys are, try, in a weird way of saying it, trying to get out of there as fast as they can. Uh, and there's become a sense of uh, – this team isn't good enough to win the championship in the American Association. Everyone was aware of it. So the guys that we brought in needed to understand that it was about their development first, uh, but also that we were in this partnership for the Chinese development. And sometimes uh, that gets in the way of winning a championship in the American Association. Being a general manager in the league, having to go to the general manager meetings, they don't love to hear that. Um, we aren't necessarily putting out the best team possible to win every game. Uh, but I think that's what makes maybe minor league and maybe specifically independent baseball unique in that the owner can do what he wants. If that's how he wants to uh, approach his uh, asset that he's bought, he has the opportunity to do that. And because of that freedom, we got ingrained into a really interesting opportunity of bringing over a national team Um and kind of following that journey since. It's cool to see them on the World Baseball Classic. I can only imagine just knowing some of them personally, what it was like for them standing in the box facing Shohei Otani, throwing 98 and in the Tokyo Dome, 40,000 people. I mean, they were they were in Grand Prairie, you know, not a lot of fans, overwhelmed to be in America taking, you know, selfies. It's just the whole thing was overwhelming. And then now you're in front of Shohei Otani. Um, and none of that would have been possible without – kind of the structures that allowed uh, through independent baseball, the past relationships that the owner had uh, and the, just kind of how it all fell in together is probably book worthy. Um, and, uh, and it was a great experience for us. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Although, you know, looking back on it now, I, I know you and I and, and a lot of the other employees up there, we joked about, you know, we wanted to, lean into the fact that we were team China a little bit more to the fact where we wanted the gong behind home plate for homers and all that stuff where, you know, looking back on it now, do you kind of wish maybe we did lean into a little bit more and, and did kind of go that way with it and have a little bit more fun and, and even could have had some more, you know, outrageous promotions using that. I, Cause I think you know, we were as an example, Dan, obviously, as you know, the team Australian expert, um, you know, you can do some really fun surfing USA, shrimp on the Barbie, you know, the old Outback night, kangaroo boxing night, whatever you want to do with, with Team Australia. And 
there's no chance of offending anybody realistically. But you know, yeah. So I think it's a really interesting question, um, and we had plenty of discussions about different ideas that we could do to involve the local Chinese community, the broader national Chinese community, um, the greater Asian community um, with different ideas. And I think the reality is, is that had we been doing this partnership with the Australian national team, I think we would have been able to do a few more promos because what was happening on the backdrop of this partnership with the Chinese national team was a president um, who had was in uh, trade talks slash war, begun a trade talk slash war with China, uh, had openly claimed uh, China, China this, China, China that, um, and was kind of, you know, rallying his base to form an opinion of someone he thought was maybe taking advantage of us for a long time, and he was going to be the one to put it into it. Uh, and he was using, you know, national platforms to make this point in which we were in, we were in Texas, um, which is a conservative state. And while the specific city we were in, you know, was a little more less conservative, the overall audience and the overall audience of probably independent minor league baseball as a whole, I would say, um, was taking, was taking this message and then they were coming to the uh, Airhawk Stadium, and the first thing they would see when they would walk in is a first thing they would see when they walk in is a massive, massive Chinese flag on a brightly lit LED board playing the Chinese national anthem, and us asking the uh, entire audience to stand and acknowledge um, their anthem as you would any country. But uh, there was many fans who took objection to this partnership to this, who we were doing this partnership with, to them being here at all. Um, and we were playing a, a balanced game of um, public promotion versus protecting the players. Because it wasn't, at the end of the day, it wasn't necessarily about the Airhogs from their perspective. It was about the development of the players. Um, and while we wanted to do some of that fun stuff, I think their development came first and they were very protective of their players from the public and what the public might have said about them. So I think, sadly, we I would have liked to do more stuff like that. I just didn't think we really had the opportunity to do it and do it right. It's probably the best way to put it. I, I'd get you out of here on this one because I know we're we're going here on on, on a long time. But um, you know, do you when you sit back and look on it, do you ever see um, another team or another? country trying to pair up like this or do you think uh you know ultimately saying this was a success or do you think you know looking back on it this was a one-off shot that we saw someone try it was a flyer you know when they look at the win-loss record no one's going to try it again you know what are you what are your thoughts on that when you sit back here you know three years removed from that season it's a great question uh i would like to see more of it personally as a fan of baseball as a uh, just a purist of the game. I would want to see as many people play as I can. Um, I hope, I hope more people do it. And I think that was probably one of the most rewarding things about the Chinese project was exposing the game to them at a higher level in which they're going to go back and take it to the next generation, their kids. And ultimately the game just grows globally 
and I had a tiny, tiny part in doing that, which is a rewarding experience. I think about the factors that came together to make this one work or even become a reality and how unique, um, how unique they kind of all were, um, which is the first obstacle, I think. The second obstacle is under what under what circumstance, I guess, would a national team really emphasize baseball on the national on the on the Olympic stage? Whereas a baseball, the World Baseball Classic, is really brought an opportunity to players to play for their national team, but the Olympics has kind of lost its cachet. Uh, outside of the World Baseball Classic, I don't think the opportunities are enough for another country to really invest uh logically i think china was so far behind um in a weird way they try to shortcut to kind of implant them it's like if you were trying to learn spanish the best way to learn spanish is go live go live in mexico for two months and you'll come back speaking spanish they say that's what they tried to do go where do you want to learn baseball go stick them in america in a league and uh hopefully they'll come back learning baseball. I think the reality with Spanish and baseball is, is it's not that easy and it's going to take hundreds of years to really develop the pipeline, the bloodline, you know, everything that it takes to be a baseball nation. Um, so I don't know. I would say probably not. Uh, I would like to see it personally. I would like to see uh, more international players get exposed to the game, come back to play in the MLB, the highest league in the, in the world, uh, which I'm, which we're obviously so fortunate to have as baseball fans here around us. And we're seeing every year more and more players from different countries. I think we just saw in the world baseball classic, a guy from Nicaragua strikes out the side against the Dominican Republic signs after the game. That's what you want to see. You want to see people who who haven't had opportunities to play in front of high level scouts or whatever, get that opportunity and provide for his family. That guy just changed his family's life in one inning. He just threw, threw three Ks and changed his family's life flat out. So that's that's the kind of opportunities this game can bring. And I think for some of those Chinese guys, they got to come to America. They've got to go play in the Tokyo Dome now. Um, those are just the kind of experiences that this great game can have. And the more people that I that we can get to experience it, I think the better for the game. I, I think you're absolutely right. The experiences were fantastic. Being able to um, travel with the team was something that I'll never forget because the thing you realize is, you know, certain certain characteristics of life translate regardless of the language you speak. Right. If you're if you're someone who's you're a funny guy, you're a funny guy in Chinese, you're a funny guy in English or whatever language you speak. Uh, you know, what's something that stood out to you on a non baseball side of things um, from your from your experience there with with the team? Well, I was. 26 year old gm at the time they were mostly 18 to 21 year olds and i felt like i was like in some regards their older brother in a lot of ways they were they were similar they were so similar um in so many ways obviously so so many too different in so many ways too but um i remember watching them in one of their first practices and getting somewhat of a joy back for the game through them for myself and watch I'd been around the game consecutively for 15 years. You take for granted the the 
simple things of stealing a base and when you would watch them steal a base and how much pride and how much how good they would feel about themselves you couldn't help but understand or, or watch them get thrown out and then steal the base the next time and show progress uh the exact same emotion any american any 20 something year old talk a little crap get up talk a little crap rub off your shoulders um and i think to that to that point um language was the was the was obviously the biggest uh, barrier but it was really one of the only ones i think mostly we got along fine we had a lot in common there was plenty to talk about they they were curious about america they were they asked a lot of questions we asked them a lot of questions about china uh they tried our food we tried their food um it was just a cool kind of venn diagram of an american baseball team and a chinese baseball team smushing it all together for 110 days and making it work so when i look back on it all that's probably the, the coolest thing is just weirdly shoving it all in a melting pot and seeing what we cooked and enjoying it enjoying it all together one thing i'll never forget nate is again i had the privilege to ride those long bus hours with them and you know, there's rules on that bus uh, as far as what you can and cannot do in the in the in the restroom on that bus, right? And it's a it's a number one only type scenario, and I I took that very seriously. I tried my very best to never have to to do that on the bus, and because of that, I was very cautious about what food I ate before we had a 15 hour bus ride. The thing with the Chinese players that I could never get over is the amount of heat lamp gas station food that those guys ate with absolutely no stomach issues whatsoever. We're at whatever truck stuff you want and they're getting chicken wings they're getting corn dogs. They're getting whatever hot food that was under that lamp for God knows how long. And, and they ate every bit of it. And I, I'm sitting here getting a, a bag of pretzels cause I don't want to offend anybody using the restroom. It was a, it was a certainly a different way to look at road trip food. And I think we both have great experiences, different experiences, I think, to your point. I, I dealt with a lot of logistics and a lot of upper management. I wasn't riding 14-hour bus rides, thank the goodness. But I can imagine, for your perspective, how cool of an experience, uh, well, how uncool it was at times. But looking back on it now, looking back on it now, how cool uh, it was to kind of share that. And it was just like any other team at the end of the day. We all rode together. We went to the game. We did the thing. And... We went home and it was another season. We came and went, uh, but underneath all of that was a really cool learning experience for the players, for the staff, for the league. I'd imagine it was new things going on for the league that they'd been thrust into a situation they'd never been in before. Um, you can imagine how some of the other teams reacted in our league in uh, Sioux Falls uh, or Sioux City uh, or. You know, these aren't big cities with large Chinese populations. So when their favorite, and, and they love these local teams. They ride, they love these local teams like it's all get out. And when we showed up with a little bit of a different team, it was a challenge for some of these teams and a challenge for the league. And we all made it work and it was a cool experience. Yeah, it's it's when you're in the heat of it and you're, and you're you know, our, our thought process is we're just trying to get through a season, right? It's when you, people love the idea of working in baseball and, and I still miss it day every day, but when you're in season, you know, it, ours is a hundred games. We played that hundred games across 110 days. Uh, the 10 days that we had off, I was either 
in a bus or the all-star break, I was at the stadium working. So I had 110 straight days uh, without a day off. And so when you're, when you're working, you don't think about that. Seven Mondays and three Wednesdays. That's what it was for yeah. 10 days off. <laughs> and so when, when you sit there afterwards though, right now it's been a few years, it really is cool to um, sit back and, and think about what we did, um, what we were able to accomplish and, and, you know, have some fond, really fun memories about them. And, and others, I have some stories with ZTs on Tau that, um, you know, I, I, I truly think I, you know, he and I unlock some of his capabilities. You know, we were in a, we'll say a legal state and, uh, you know, for the first time in his life, he partook. And then the very next night he, he went seven and two third, no hit innings, Nate. And then through two more games, uh, with potential no hitters, it was like, it was like he and I unlocked something that night. You know, he was one of the better English speakers. We, we partook a little in a legal state, had a great conversation. And the next day I went and talked to him in the locker room. Hey, how we feeling? Oh, I feel good, man. I feel good. And then yeah. uh, took a no hitter into the seventh. And I'll finish with two things. I'll finish with the Zeng Tao story. But the first point to that point is – I reflect. I remember reflecting as a kid, looking back on this whole thing, reflection as a kid, and wanting to be a part of baseball, going to games. I always had a dream of playing in baseball, but when I, I always had a dream of working in baseball too. I don't know. It was weirdly I knew at a young age maybe I wasn't going to be good enough, although I was trying to be. But I wanted to stay affiliated to the game, and I would have. Somebody would ask me what my goal would have been back then. I would imagine I would have said just to have an impact of some sort and looking back on this project partnership, whatever you want to call it, I, without a doubt can say I had an impact on the game, the, the growth of the game, the, the exposure of the game to new players. Um, and so super fond memories of uh, the whole thing and the opportunities it gave me to give back to the game a bit that gave me so much, which is all I ever wanted to do to work in baseball to begin with. Um, and I'll end with a Zhang Tao story, which is on the very last weekend that the Chinese were here, um, September it was Labor Day weekend. So I guess like maybe 31st, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, whatever. Very last series of games. You got to set the series up though, Nate, because you got to remember the stress will, that you I took will. to get everybody there. Okay. I will. Uh, we're going to um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, to play the Milwaukee Milkmen for the very last series. Um, they are a brand new team, first year in the league. They have taken it upon themselves to set a high bar, high promotions, um, and they're really looking forward to this last series. We, on the other hand, are in dead last place, so far eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, the players are ready to go back to China ready. Um, we uh, have a flight on uh friday morning early like 6 a.m early for a friday saturday sunday monday series a four-game series in milwaukee uh it's labor day weekend 6 a.m friday flight uh to close out the season one last series for the good times um and i wake up about probably maybe about 5.30 or 5 after my phone is vibrating endlessly for an hour. And I roll over to about 25 text messages and about 35 missed calls. 
instantly. You know something's wrong when you have that amount of uh, volume in your phone. Then you open it up and you see who called, who is, who is in the problem. The first person I remember seeing was the commissioner of the league, Josh uh, uh, Buckholtz. Or, yeah, well, he's not the, he wasn't the commissioner. He was the executive director operations guy, Josh Buckholtz. That is not that is not a name you want to see on your phone at five in the morning because something has gone really wrong. Uh, I then keep scrolling. I see players, coaches. Okay, this is obviously team related. I have something from the coach. I have something from the team. Who do I call first? I call the league. Hey, do you know what's going on? No, <laughs> that's why I'm calling you. Your team's flight got canceled, uh, and. Um, I need you to get in Milwaukee for tonight's game at seven o'clock. The, the milkmen are adamant that you're at this game because they have a big promotions plan, sellout crowd. Um, it's now probably seven, six thirty, seven a.m. There's no chance for us to bus this thing to no, Milwaukee and, and make. Not it. even. Not even. It was a, we looked it up, Nate, because you were on the phone. It was a twenty-three hour bus ride to get there, and we, there's no way. And the best part was too. Bando called. Buckholtz at 5.30 in the morning and just flat out left a voicemail for him that said, flight's canceled. Earliest we can get there is Sunday. Maybe we can play a doubleheader that one. Have a good one. And just hung up the phone. So that was some backdrop. And then I call our coaching staff and say, hey, heard your flight got canceled. You guys are at the airport. I want to get you uh, on a new flight. He then says, we're not at the airport. Everyone went home. We're not going to Milwaukee. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I say, no, actually, you are going to go to Milwaukee one way or another, and uh, I'll figure it out. I'll call you back. So I'm like, crap. Everyone went home. The players are mad. Some people are back asleep. Um, they definitely – coaches told them they're not playing. And on the other hand, on the other end of the line, it's like, you better be here by 7 p.m. We're in Grand Prairie, Texas, to Milwaukee. It is now pushing 8 a.m. I don't know. Another hour, 38 zillion phone calls later, we've somehow drummed up a charter jet to fly 20. No. Yeah, I think it was 22 total people to Milwaukee. There's 18 players. I remember 18 players. And three I coaches. The, the broadcaster didn't make the cut for that one. It's 20. We only had 22 seats. Um, so we sent 18 players. Two coaches, a translator, coach, and a trainer, which was the or no, we didn't even send a trainer. I don't think we sent another player. I don't know. I call the coach back. I'm like, hey, I've drummed you up a charter, and you you have a I need your 18 best players. You're about to play a four game series in Milwaukee tonight, and then hang up the phone. I say, meet me at the stadium. I'll meet you there and I'll take you to the airport. Hang up the phone, look at my wife and say, hey, we're about to have to go pick up all these Chinese players and take them to this private runway for them to get on the flight. Drive there to the stadium. My wife's in a van. I'm in a van. Uh, former MLB players about to rip my skull out in the backseat. Absolutely livid. They're going to play this series after all that's happened. Some Chinese players that look like they just woke up, also mad, and then in hops in the front seat, Zheng Tao. We start driving. 
I'm like, man, he's like, man, this is crazy. I'm like, yeah, it is pretty crazy. I'm like, the, the other team was so adamant that we made it tonight that we had to get a charter jet. He's like, why are you like, why are we even making this a big deal? I'm like, this other team made an adamant point too. And he looked at me and said, I'll take care of it. And then drop them off, get on a flight, get on a flight, fly there. I think we only have like eight or nine players, 20 minutes before the first pitch of the game. The a van pulls up five minutes before the first pitch. We barely have enough players. Zeng Tao's on the mound. He throws eight innings, gives up one hit, and we shut them out. I think uh, it was eight and two-thirds no-hit innings. He lost it in the ninth, if I remember correctly. I was standing at a Walmart, it. standing at a Walmart watching the uh, American Association feed on my phone, unbelievably heartbroken that, like, this could have been my first no-hitter call, and he's going to throw it without me there. Uh, probably one of the best beers I've ever had. I probably had one of the most stressful days I've ever had. I definitely recall sitting on the couch at the end of it, like, I don't know how we pulled this off. I can't believe our team is there. And then to watch uh, a player that we – spent two years developing go out and shove it down their throat uh with some pride um definitely my best air hog memory i i think that really is the the story that kind of encapsulates the the chinese experience right there was a lot of stress there was some hectic moments some some weird requests at different points uh, all of us had to drive a van we all had to you know drive a big white uh Someone call it a pedo van, no windows, uh, sliding door on the side. Definitely good for kidnapping or getting 15 players around. But at the end of the day, we got it done. We got the players where they needed to get. And, um, you know, ZT is, is one of those guys. I think you and I both really watched him flourish, really watched him grow. Uh, someone that we early on thought, man, if only he could hit that next level. And then um, when he finally did, it, it was like the light switch went on for that kid and it was rewarding is the only way to put it right because i think we all put a little bit of ourselves into that team it was a lot more work than your normal independent baseball team a lot of us had our own blood sweat and tears and so to see him come back and do that um i think it was three starts in a row that kid just went off the last three of the season and it was we all kind of took a breath of, of relief and were like okay you know it was worth it but uh yeah Nate, i'm really glad you're able to come on and and talk a little Chinese baseball with us. It was it was fun getting to relive some of that with you. Uh, it was definitely a year to remember, and I'm glad uh, you got to be there to experience that with me. And I'm glad that uh, I got to be there to hear you call uh, Chinese names because that was that was an experience too. Hearing you call Chinese names probably made a lot of the stress worth it. Um, hanging around the guys and there was a lot of good people involved so many good people involved and like you said more work than a normal independent team it required more staff than a normal independent team and not in the places that you would necessarily think we needed interpreters we needed uh liaisons we needed uh, i mean i think about seeing private chef the time. you hired Two, two private chefs to cook them breakfast lunch and dinner every single day so that twofold they got a taste of their home cuisine. I think some of it was a fear of the American diet that they were uh, fearful of and their players trying to be in an athletic program. Uh, but so many, like Sing Ping, uh, I think about when Sway and Ting sung the national anthem. I think about um, the guys swimming in the outfield pool. So many memories. <laughs> yeah. 
so many memories uh, of just kids being kids, of a, just a team being a team. Uh, and if you didn't know the story uh, that we're telling now, you would just view it as another baseball team, which is cool in a way. And then when you add in the story, uh, it really, really does bring you some some pride and I think, like you said, some some fulfillment for sure. It really was tailor made for like a, a you know HBO Hard Knocks kind of behind the scenes documentary, seeing what they did with with the PJ Tour with Full Swing. I I know Billy Martin early on was trying to get some cameras in there. I, looking back on it now, Nate, I really do wish. Uh, maybe we took advantage of that or the Chinese said okay to that because there's so many moments beyond the field that would have been – those guys would have been stars, man. When, when Feng Shui sang the Chinese national anthem and then followed it up with the first few lines of the American national anthem because he heard them back-to-back every single night, I mean, we were we were in stitches. And I think, like you said, the, the angle – the story had so many angles to it, and it was coming from so many directions, and I almost feel terrible that we've talked for an hour and we haven't mentioned Billy Martin Jr. because he was an integral part of finding some of the players and the, putting the team together. And obviously um, his dad, Billy Martin, future Hall of Famer – oh, I shouldn't say that. Uh, I think he should be a Hall of Famer, but uh, – MLB world champion, um, MLB manager, uh, which was a whole other angle. As Billy Martin Jr., you know, some there were certain fans that wanted to see him act a fool just based on his name, based on uh, certain things, and there was just so many th- thankful things to kind of, I mean, so many things to be thankful for in that whole process. And like you said, uh, I think we would have made a really cool, maybe a top-selling Netflix documentary out there, but. Um, there were some factors at play for sure that prohibited that I'd say. All right, Nate. Well, I think we're going to call it here. Cause I, I, I know we could go all night if we just sat there and, and swap some stories from that season. 100%. But yeah. One day I think we should maybe sit down and try and uh, I think there's a book or something there. One day we sit down and, and put that experience into words because not enough people know this story. Uh, you know, hopefully this is just a taste of it and, and gets people a little bit more interested in what the Chinese did and, um it was it was a magical it was a magical couple of years to, to be a part of that but again i, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking some some chinese baseball with us um, my pleasure tim and um keep up the good work on the podcast i'm a listener i appreciate it and uh we appreciate you joining us and if you're a listener hey as you know we do the uh you know the old scumbag of the week segment uh you know danny vaughn hopped on uh UT for not naming the interim coach as the full-time coach before their former coach got hired somewhere else. Um, you know, I myself didn't like the the umpire from the New Orleans game that uh, decided to take matters into his own hands. Is, is there anybody out there that, that's in your crosshairs in the sports world this week, Nate? Uh, yes. His name is Jason Kidd. He is the coach of the Dallas Mavericks, and he is quickly ruining his reputation as a player that contributed to our only championship into the coach that is possibly going to cost us a generational talent. So yes, Jason Kidd is in the crosshairs. And if we miss the playoffs, I hope he's the first one gone. There you go. Hey, Nate, we appreciate you. And uh, thank you again for, for coming on and, and, and uh, spending some time with us. My pleasure. Again, we appreciate everybody who joined us this week uh scott real quick just remind everybody where they can find you and dan too. take uh, a moment to let's plug that 
but show what you got going on talking baseball and let's make sure everybody can find you. Sure. Uh, talking baseball, Australia. It's, uh, uh, it's on fa- our Facebook page and then you can find us at TB Australia on Twitter at TB Australia. And you can find me at Dan Vaughn jr. That's V a U G H a N jr. On Twitter. And my broadcast partner, Paul Morg, Paul Morgan, Paul Morgs is also, uh, you can find him as well at Paul Morgs there as our uh, Talking Baseball Australia. Uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter uh, at S Barzilla. Uh, I also write about the Texans on uh, Battle Red blog and uh, also occasionally uh, add a political column at the Hall of Fame Index.com. And I, as always, uh, am on Twitter, Tim underscore Costello 10. Uh, And don't forget to like and subscribe to that new um, Snap Hook Facebook page. But we appreciate everyone who joined us talking WBC. Uh, We look forward to having everybody back again on Friday. But that's it for us here on the Snap Hook. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Snap Hook and making Scott and I a part of your week. Wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snap Hook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snap Hook.